The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture today comes from Hebrews 10, 19-25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus— by the new and living way he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well today we're kicking off a, thank you Hannah, we're kicking off a sermon series that is called Worship Connect Serve, and what it is, is this is, it's, this is more than just a sermon series. It's a six weeks. We're going to be in, in this series for six weeks. If you're new uh, to Christ Presbyterian Church, just checking us out, these next six weeks are actually going to be a great opportunity uh, for you to hear what really drives us as a church. We've spent the last year as a leadership team um, really kind of wrestling through the language of what do we, what do we want? Uh, what do we believe Scripture calls a church member to do? be and to do, you know? So, so you, can, you can come into a church, you can be a part of a church, you can show up on Sunday morning, you can move in and out, but, but what's the big picture for the life of a flourishing follower of Jesus Christ? And as we've tried to put some language around that and some simplicity around that, that's what this sermon series is really gonna be about. Um, if you've placed your trust in Christ, that is if you are uh, somebody who believes that it is through the finished work of Christ that you have right standing with God, then that makes you a disciple. And disciples are learners, right? And so disciples are people who are always in the process of learning and growing. And a disciple, then a learner, is somebody who never really stops asking the question, okay, what do I, how do I live this out? How do I, what are the steps that I take? What are the things that I, that I do as somebody who is a disciple of Jesus? And so over the next six weeks uh, in this series, it's our intention to, to walk through that, to unpack that, and to ask. Uh, every disciple of Jesus Christ at Christ Presbyterian Church to assess themselves. So I'm asking you in this next six weeks to do a little assessment of your own spiritual journey before the Lord. Okay, uh, and to take some intentional steps in growing as a disciple. And so we've distilled this down for, for coming up with language that's, that's for, for maybe a way to say it is it's a pathway. Uh, it's a pathway to follow uh, as a disciple of Jesus. And we've distilled it down into these three words of worship, connect, and serve. And the idea is not that you would pick one and say, that's the one I'm really gonna focus on, but that we would see these as three things that are connected to each other. And so I'm gonna challenge us. And in fact, every preacher at, at every Christ Pres location is gonna be walking through the same thing. And one of the things that we're gonna do is we're gonna have a series of very specific asks. So every, each sermon is gonna have one specific thing that we're gonna ask. 
of the congregation. Um, and I'm gonna talk about those here in, in, in just a second. Um, but that there's something that, that we want to aspire to together. And what we're really talking about when you think about it is we're talking about habit forming. What are the habits that we want to carry as followers of Jesus Christ? So I wanna give you all six of them here at the beginning uh, because if you're like me, you might be a little nervous right now thinking, thinking wait a minute, what's about, the other shoe's about to fall. I'm about to get roped into it. Now I'm gonna read them all so that you can, so you can, your heart can, can have a little bit of time with them uh, and so that you'll know where we're going. But as, as we've wrestled with these things, I don't think <clears throat> that any of these six things are things that are um, <clears throat> anything that are unique to Christ Presbyterian Church. Uh, we've just tried to uh, gather them uh, and, and, to, and to approach them in an orderly way. So, so there are two for each uh, worship, connect, and serve. So there are these. The first one for worship and the one we're gonna focus on today is this. Uh, we're gonna ask you, be fully present with the church every Sunday. That's one. Number two, and this is also in worship, <clears throat> be fully present with Jesus every day. And then under connect, these are the two. Take every opportunity to gather with your people. Your, your small group, whatever, wherever you're serving, take every opportunity to gather with your group. <coughs> the second one under connect is befriend and bring in people who don't have a church home. And then under serve, strengthen the church by serving and giving. That's one. And then the second is love your neighbors who are near and who are in need. And so be fully present with the church every Sunday, be present with Jesus every day, take every opportunity to gather with your group, befriend and bring in people who don't have a church home, strengthen the church by serving and giving, love your neighbors who are near and those who are in need. So those are the six. And having said those, you have to know that I'm a person who uh, I get, when, when somebody says, I'm gonna give you six things I wanna ask of you, um, my hackles go up a little bit and I start thinking, well, aren't we right on the edge of legalism here? We're just gonna kind of make it just, let me, let me say something. <coughs> wow, sorry about that. <laughs> Mic placement. I wanna say a quick word on legalism and I also wanna ask you to trust me. If we have relational capital, if, you, if we have any capital between congregation and preacher, I wanna ask you to give me benefit of the doubt um, that we're not about to do a bait and switch and manipulate you to do things. Anyway, I'm, I'm apologizing too much. A quick word on legalism. I just read through this list of things that we're gonna be asking each person at Christ Pres to embrace and to live out. And for some of us, our legalism antenna might have just gone up, and it's good, really, I think, for us to have a sensitivity to <clears throat> the instinct of testing whether something is just empty legalism or not. It's good, lest we reduce then our practice of religion down to just empty rituals and boxes to check. And I don't want that for any of us. I really don't. I, don't. I don't want that for any of us. And so that said, asking believers in the context of the local church to nurture habits is not automatically legalism, right? Especially if those habits are rooted in scripture and the biblical call for what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And they're designed for our flourishing. And so I, I want to invite you, use your critical thinking, push back if you feel that we are emptying 
Christianity of its significance and its meaning and replacing it with just rituals to perform and boxes to check. I want you to use your critical thinking to assess, ask are these empty or are they good for us? Because I hope to never call us to anything other than what is biblical and what is for our spiritual and our relational good, okay? So I wanted to give a quick word on that because this is a little bit of a shift from where we've been in the Isaiah series. It's very focused, and that's very much by design. And each congregation is doing the same thing. So let's get into this first one. We have a slide here that has it. (coughs) Be fully present with the church every Sunday. The passage in Hebrews that we read uh, is written to an early church who has people in it who are beginning to form the habit. They're habituating not meeting together. Uh, And so the stakes of why it's important um, are implied in verse 23 where where the writer of Hebrews says, "Let, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. See, the book of Hebrews was written to people who were suffering persecution It was costing them something to be Christians, to be known as Christians. It was costing them something. And they are weighing whether or not it's worth it to continue on as followers of Jesus Christ. And you get here to this back half of Hebrews and the author is saying, don't forsake gathering together, doing this public thing where you're gathering together and let us collectively hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. We don't face the same kind of persecution here, but even though we don't, we're certainly living in a time when we consider the myriad of daily choices that come at us that are proposing to us whether or not to live as faithful, spiritually maturing followers of Jesus Christ. And we have those things coming at us all the time. And one sign I believe that we're struggling is that we trade the habit of worship, and specifically the habit of corporate worship, for something that looks more like private worship or no worship at all. And so you can't be a person who has a high view of the Bible and conclude that it's unimportant for you to be a worshiper, right? I mean, that's pretty 101 from the beginning. And yet at the same time, we can quickly kind of maneuver in our minds around what worship actually looks like, even though scripture's pretty clear on a lot of fronts about what worship looks like, to tailor it to just kind of, to a lot of the things that we normally do to count as worship, like, well, I like to listen to worship music in the car, so I'm good. And to that, I just want to say, there's a measure where we need to just be honest with ourselves, right? And say, maybe I just like that music, and maybe it is worshipful, but is that the full scope of what the Lord wants for me as a follower of Jesus Christ? Listen, here's the thing. The faith that we share, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's headed someplace. Where is it headed? It's headed to an eternity of worship and delight as a united people in the presence of our Savior and King forever. And so in this life, the local church exists, at least in part, to serve as dress rehearsal, as practice 
for the eternity that awaits us collectively. There is no such thing in the Bible as individualistic Christianity. It's always plural. We are truly a we. We're us. And so there is no individualistic Christianity where one person or even one family can say to the rest of the church, I don't need you. And so today's ask, be fully present with the church every Sunday. I want to unpack it a little bit. Statistically, church-going people in America attend church 1.8 times a month. At Christ Pres, because we're a large church and we have software and we have people who count things, I can tell you this. Christ Pres beats the average. We're about 2.4 times a month. Okay? So, so we're still kind of right around there that Christ Presbyterian Church across all three congregations, which is about 3,000 people, we average two times at church a month. And we wrestled with, should, should the call, should the ask be, let's get that up to three? <laughs> and then we thought, what are we doing? <laughs> no, let's see, let's just make the ask, let's increase our worship to Sundays, right? Corporate worship, if it's Sunday, go to church. Be in church. Cultivate the habit of being a part of corporate worship in such a way that we're building the rest of our lives around worshiping Christ with his people rather than the other way around. And that's, the, that's where we get stuck, right? Is we get stuck in, I'm either building my life around my relationship with the body of Christ and, 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 and the rest of what's going on is, is, it defers to that or it's the other way around. Is that church fits in when it fits in, but I've got this life I'm living. You're gonna be hard pressed to find a defense for that in scripture. Why? Well, scripture calls us to this. In God's wisdom, Christ said of his people, and I want you to hear this, you collectively are my bride, right? So the body of Christ is the bride of Christ. And Jesus says, you need each other. I regard you as one. One can't say to the other parts, I don't need you. He's not returning to gather a collection of unconnected individuals who each have really cool things that, they, that they're interested in and things that they know. He's, gather, he's gathering a collection of people who together he regards as his bride, one body made up of many parts. So, and then you come to this passage in Hebrews and he's saying, don't forsake the feast. Don't forsake gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. Keep doing this. Be together as a people. Be together regularly. So if you ask the question, why, why do we not keep the feast? Why do we not keep the feast of corporate worship? The answers to this are as old as time. Jesus told a parable about it. I'm gonna read that parable very briefly here and just unpack it a little bit. Um, but this is the parable of the great banquet in Luke 14, uh, verses 16 to 24, 15 to 24 if you wanna follow along. Um, don't just take my word for it, it's in here. Uh, but this is a parable that Jesus told when he was at a meal and they were talking about the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And here's what Jesus said. He said, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he had invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, come because everything now is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. 
And another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married and so I can't come. Pause. I love how confrontational Jesus is here because none of these on on their face are weak excuses, right? None of them. Anyway, he goes on. The servant came back and reported to his master and then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done but there's still room. And then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. In this story that Jesus just told, the one throwing the banquet, his reaction to being told no is anger. The context of the parable centers around feasting in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says that people are excusing themselves. He doesn't, the validity of the reasons is aside. He says they're using these as excuses. They're excusing themselves. Um, for reasons that are still in play today. If you think about it, the field, I have this, I bought this land and I gotta go see the land that I bought. So, for our categories, oh gosh, I hate this part because it feels like it stings. Lake houses, vacations, things like, look, we need to take vacations. We, you know, things like that. But at the same time, is time away, me time, something that we would look at and say this, this, this excuses me from being a part of church. Ox, his oxen, his five yoke of oxen, work, right? I need to go try them out. I got, I got work, I have work things I have to do. I just got married. Um, the nuclear family. Man, we, I tell you, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. I think one of the strongest idols that grips Christianity today is the nuclear family. And I love the nuclear family. We just expanded our nuclear family Right, I love the nuclear family and at the same time we can use because it's, it's an unassailable excuse. You cannot argue with somebody who says, I really gotta be with my family. What Jesus is saying in this parable and what the parable is testing for us is saying, are you being honest though? Because it is very legitimate if your family needs you and it prevents you from being a part of a gathering for worship. It's another thing if you're using your family as a reason for not being in church and you're almost never in church, right? To this, Jesus is saying, be honest with the way that you're using the reasons and formulating the reasons and communicating the reasons for why you're not a part of the body of Christ. On this topic of family, Consider the habits of mind that we cultivate in our own children if we excuse ourselves from church in the name of being together as a family. One of the things that we communicate there, and, and I see this and I, and I fear it for my own family, is we undermine our kids loving the church because they don't see us favor the church. And here's the kicker with that. It's not just that they will grow up with a lack of love for the church, they will grow up with a lack of sense of relevance for the church. It wasn't, my parents didn't just love it, it's they just didn't have much of a use for it. 
These are strong, I know these are strong words. And I'm a nine on the Enneagram, so I am way out of my comfort zone. But in Jesus' parable, what the banquet host's response is to those who he invites, and he says, come be a part of this, is he becomes angry when they say no. Why? Because we're denying being part of a community of grace that we need and that he's formed for us. This anger is not anger against us. It's anger for us. Gathering at the feast of the Lord is for our good. He's not calling us to empty ritual. This is profound because what Jesus is saying is he's saying to you, I want you at my feast. Is that not profound? The second person of the Trinity saying to you, I want you at my table. There are benefits to being a regular part of the church. Lots of them, actually. The church is a unique place. As a pastor, I'm pretty aware of this, that I have a job where I do something that there aren't many corollaries out there in the world. There are people who give talks and speak, but not a new one every week, right? And not to the same room full of people. There are benefits to being a part of a local body of Christ. I'm gonna name some, some that are actually pragmatic, uh, practical, if you, if you like to get your teeth into things that are, that are practical. Um, here's some. Uh, being a part of the church, we, we worship. We worship collectively. We're made to worship, right? And, and the church cultivates a deepened sense of connection to God when we gather together here and we worship together. Second, the church gives us a place for confession and a place for intentional gratitude. And if you're like me, those things don't just flow naturally out of everyday situations that we're in. This is a place where we have a time for confession and a time for gratitude. We intentionally take time together to focus on our need for forgiveness and the mercy that we've been shown. And we're gathered before the one to whom we direct our thanks. A third benefit is friendship. The church offers social connections. I always joke that the church is the one place where the Lord picks your friends for you. And sometimes he picks weird friends for you. And if you don't think he's given you weird friends, you might be the weird friend, right? (laughs) But the church picks your friends for you. The Lord does. The church offers this place of social connection, ongoing development of friendships. Think about this. If you have left the nest of the home that you grew up in, you probably, unless you live next door to your parents or they live with you, you probably see the people you go to church with more than you see your own parents. There are people that you see on Sunday mornings who probably have a more up-to-date sense of what's going on in your life if you're connected to the body of Christ than blood relatives. And this is, I'm not making a value statement about that other than to say that is the case. And the church is a place for ongoing friendship. And not just generic friendship, but friendship where we care about how we're doing. Spiritual common ground for families. This is a place where I can tell you I grew up 
going to church from the time I was about five years old. My parents became believers. I grew up going to church and I stand before you as a 46-year-old man who understands the value of being a part of the church in part because I was always there as a kid. And there was no discussion. We didn't argue about it because it didn't go anywhere. It was Sunday and we went. But growing up in that, in that context, I understood my parents in a unique way because of the way that they brought us into this community of faith and said, this is part of what we do and part of who we are. So there's the spiritual common ground for families where we gather together and we grow together as families. Here's one that I love. A benefit of being a part of the regular, a regular part of the church is this is a place to practice reverence. It's an irreverent culture that we live in. And the church intentionally cultivates the practice of a reverent heart for the Lord. And we were made for that. Service. The church gives opportunity to serve and to give back and to serve alongside other people and to help. Seven, spiritual growth. Here we learn scripture in the context of community. We learn alongside other people. We get involved in connect groups and we talk further about the application and the implication of scripture together. Eight, we do not suffer alone. This is another thing as a pastor that is one of the deep sorrows that I witness is I have people reach out to me sometimes purely because they know I'm a pastor but they have no spiritual community and their world is burning to the ground and they don't know who to ask for help and they don't have people to ask for help and so they reach out to me as strangers sometimes because of what I do. There are many of us in this room, I look around here, I know some of your stories and I know some of you suffered deeply and greatly, even in the last year, and have struggled incredible uncertainty and things that cause deep fear and, 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 and pain and loss. And, and you've had the body of Christ around you, which sometimes looks like a room full of people that you feel comforted to just walk into, and sometimes looks like two or three faces that know how to pursue you and that love you and that you have trusted with that. So we don't suffer alone. Struggle and suffering happen in a community that's committed to lending support. Nine, we ask for and we offer forgiveness here. We practice that. In the church, we have this place to practice this kind of humility. And then 10th, these are the pragmatic things. Um, it's a place to sing. Where else do you do that regularly? Favorite brother concerts? I mean, that was great, I'm looking at you over there. But uh, here we have this place where we gather and we sing from the heart and we learn songs together and, and, we, and we practice them together and there's, there's, there's no other regular place like this. There just isn't. And so we could list a lot more reasons for why it's for our good to be a regular part of the local church but also let's not be narcissists here and just think about what does this get for me consider that when we are a part of the local church the Lord uses our presence not only to shape one person's, he uses our presence not only to shape one person's life by another, but he uses friendships to shape entire communities. So let me explain that by quoting C.S. Lewis, who just, in his book, The Four Loves, he made this statement. Lewis, by the way, just, just drops these insight bombs, and they're just amazing, and this is one of them. Uh, in The Four Loves, he wrote this. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. I, by myself, am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights other than my own to show all the facets. Hence, true friendship 
is the least jealous of love. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth. In other words, you know, Bruce Williams and I are friends. And we get together once a month and Nate Yoder is with us. Nate brings things out of Bruce that I don't get out of Bruce just when he and I are together that I get to delight in in Bruce because Nate is there. Does that make sense? We see this in friendships, right? In small groups, it's this way, that there's dynamics between people that we benefit from and that we get things out of because of their friendship that we draw from. When a local church is a place where we honor the habit of regularly meeting, we all get more of each other. One brings something out of another and a third benefits from that and this is how community works. It's part of God's design for his people. Okay, I'm landing the plane. The deeper reason, the deeper reason that I would have the audacity to say, be fully present with the church every Sunday. In an individualistic world that says, don't tell me what to do, don't saddle me with rules, is this. The deeper reason for why we should keep the feast of corporate worship is that we have been invited. And not only that, a way has been made. We have been invited and a way has been made when because of your sin and mine, God owed us nothing in terms of our eternal fellowship with him, unthinkable access has been given to us. Jesus' parable ends with the master telling his servant, go and gather the outcast and the poor and the hurting and give them a seat at my table. I want them here. And our text from Hebrews says, we have confidence. We have confidence to enter holy places by the blood of Christ shed for us. Through his flesh, he has opened the way for us to have lasting, unbroken fellowship with our creator. And while we await his return, he has given us this place. He's given us the local church. It's the only place in the world where when you come, you put your worst foot forward and you say, I'm coming because I have so much need of this. I'm not coming because I'm awesome. I'm coming because I desperately need this community. You don't have to impress a single person to belong here. You don't have to be right and you don't have to have all your ducks in a row mentally. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row vocationally. Your family can be a mess. We know as a part of the body of Christ that we all are needy and that we all need what only Christ can give and what we bring then to this community is our need and what we trust in is we trust in the finished work of Christ and we trust in that alone. That's why we come to the table. That's why we keep that feast every week. So hold fast to the confession of our hope. Hold fast collectively. Let's stir one another up. We can't do that if we're not in community with each other. Let's stir one another up to hold fast to this confession of hope. I need you here. I need you here. You need each other here. To hold each other up, to stir one another's confidence, to remind each other that the gospel is true. And that makes this place 
the ideal place to then bring in the lonely and the outcast and the broken and to make them know they're welcome, they're wanted here. It's a terrible thing to find ourselves in a position where we have friends with no need and we don't know where to take them and we don't know how to help them. And sometimes what they need is the body of Christ. So the basis for our welcome is the finished work of Christ. And so here's the ask again. We're asking across all three congregations, be present here. There's reason for it. And let us together hold fast to the confession of our shared hope, always inviting others into it, to the place where Christ is set for them at his table too. Let me pray. Lord, your word is living and active and you are strong and powerful and merciful and wise. And in your wisdom, you give us the local body of Christ. And it is so easy for us to be cynics. It's so easy for us to look at the weaknesses and the failures and the inadequacies of the efforts of a local church. It's so easy to dismiss entire communities based on ways they have failed to deliver for us in ways that we wanted them to. And yet, in your wisdom, you never treat us as individuals only. You treat us collectively as your bride, one body made up of many parts, each needing the other. And so, Lord, it's a, it's a fight for us because we do live in a very individualistic time. We celebrate individualism. And yet, you call us to be in community with each other. And it's a community that's, that's, that's centered on the invitation that has been given to us by you through your life and your death and your resurrection to reconcile us to our relationship with God, which we were made for from the foundation of the world. May we not take this lightly. Father, I thank you. Even as I preach a challenging sermon on church attendance, (laughs) I thank you for the first year of life of this congregation where we have just been blessed with so many faithful people who have brought their whole selves in seasons of health and in seasons of unhealth to serve and to care for and to walk alongside and nurture and to, and to really own their place in this community of faith. And it has been one of your good gifts to me and I thank you for it. Uh, Father, we thank you for the gift of the table. This weekly reminder that we have a seat at your table, at your feast. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen.